It's now 11.30 here at KRVN, which means it's time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Jason Jorgensen, Bob Brogan will join me here in just moments. But on this dreary afternoon, we'll caught up with our own Susan Littlefield to let us know what will be happening here during midday with the Farm Department. Well, thanks so much. Hopefully everybody had an amazing Labor Day weekend. Here's what's coming up on the midday from the farm team. Thanks to Alex, because she's bringing us three great interviews from the crazy wrap-up of last week. She'll kick everything off at 12, 19. Victoria Nelson is a student at UNL who took part in the UCARE program over the summer. So she's going to share about her summer research project. Then at 12.45, she caught up with Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue and Congressman Jeff Fortenberry as they visited Nebraska. We'll hear comments about their tours and the discussions. And then wrapping everything up at 1.17 on Friday, Governor Ricketts and the Ag Secretary, along with UNL Chancellor Ronnie Green, signed an agreement to promote good stewardship of Nebraska's forests. We'll get comments from the signing ceremony. That's a midday from the farm team. Thank you very much, Susan. Let's turn it over to sports. Jason Jorgensen is joining us. And, well, Jason, what do we know about the Big Ten, or do we know anything at this well, point? Well, just more rumors and innuendo, but national talk show host uh, Dan Patrick, who's appeared to have an in yeah. in some of the, this yeah. time around, uh, says at this point the Big Ten simply doesn't have enough teams to play. Mm. Michigan schools aren't going to play. The Illinois schools, Maryland's not going to play. And Rutgers won't play. So that's six that won't play. They needed nine. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, And they're not going to have a vote unless they know they can get those nine schools. So no vote for starting early or even having a season here in 2020. What does that mean for possible spring football, as they call it? Who knows? To be determined, there was that wacky story put out last week that the Big Ten and Pac-12 will get together in the spring and have like a fake Rose Bowl. I I don't know if that moves the needle for anyone. Uh, I don't know. As as long as this goes on, uh, it looks bad for the league. I was watching BYU and yep. Navy play yep. last night. Yep. Uh, BYU, by the way, looks pretty good. They do. Uh, they they, do. Hey, I wanted to watch some college football last night. Ten minutes into that thing, I'm turning the channel. It was over. Well, and it just felt weird this past <laughs> weekend, not having any football, college football on the entire weekend. The big matchups obviously always happening, and uh, Monday as well. But it did feel a little bit nice to have, at least, as you mentioned, even though it was a blowout, BYU and uh was it Navy Army? Which one was the it? Navy. Navy, okay. Yep, so All BYU right. sunk the Navy last <laughs> night. Uh, Big 12 still has plans to play, although they've run into a couple of roadblocks. TCU, they're not going to be able to play their non-conference game. Oklahoma's non-conference game against Tulsa has been pushed back. But cross your fingers, so far so good for K-State and for Kansas. They try to like this party on Saturday. Well, some people are going to be playing, and again, you just have to know that there's going to be adjustments, that week to week, things are going to change, and this is the world we live in now, I suppose. A little bit like how the high school uh, schedule has worked in Nebraska, but so far they've been able to pull off more than 90% of their games. Knock on wood, it has gone fantastic here in the state of Nebraska, really all sports across the board. Bob, what do we have in, in stocks today? How are we starting out? Big tech stocks opening sharply lower on Wall Street, continuing a pullback that began last Thursday and Friday. The tech-heavy NASDAQ index dropped another 2.5% in the early going today, the first day of trading after the Labor Day holiday in the U.S. Top executives of nine drug makers likely to produce the first vaccines against the new coronavirus are taking the extraordinary step of promising they'll be safe and effective, and we certainly hope so, and the sooner the better. All right, thank you very much, Bob. Here is Clay.
This is a 3D consumer alert from the Nebraska Attorney General's office. Every year we tabulate the data on the top reported frauds from the previous year. In 2018, the top reports were imposter scams, debt collection, and identity theft. Imposter scams involve someone assuming a role and telling you a story designed to motivate you into making some form of immediate payment. At 18%, imposter scams accounted for nearly one out of every five frauds reported last year. Younger people, especially in their 20s, reported losing money to fraud more often than older people. However, when older people did lose money, the amount tended to be much higher. Scammers continue to prefer payment by wire transfer, but we witnessed a surge of payments with gift and reload cards. Remember, requests for immediate payment by an unsolicited phone call or email is a red flag warning of a scam. For more, visit protectthegoodlife.nebraska.gov. With Jennifer Brem from the Nebraska Attorney General's Office, I'm Ryan Sothan. Time to take a look at your regional ag weather. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Well, it is going to be cold, wet, and windy for much of the day. Snow in the western portions of Nebraska and rain in the eastern portions of Nebraska and chilly. 30-degree difference of what we usually see at this time of year. Still seeing low 30s in the panhandle. 40s pretty much elsewhere in the Nebraska region, only low 50s in the Omaha area. Those are the warmest spots in the state. Now, showers uh, and isolated thunderstorms are expected on and off today. Temperatures will only reach highs in the 40s to lower 50s, which again is around 35 degrees cooler than normal or more typical for early November. Now, in addition to the cooler temperatures, north winds of 20 to 30 miles per hour are expected with gusts around 40 miles per hour, just making it for kind of miserable conditions. Now, there will be on and off showers and a few isolated thunderstorms through the remainder of the week. Wednesday will remain cold with temperatures warming some Thursday and Friday before we see some nice warmer temperatures and more seasonal-like temperatures coming up this weekend. Now, a wetter and cooler pattern over the central United States and ongoing dry conditions in central Brazil are the key weather items for the commodity trade's attention today. The DTN Ag Weather Forecast calls for much cooler conditions over the plains and Midwest during the middle of the week. This includes a threat of freezing in the far northern sector, possibly crimping some corn and soybeans ahead of maturity. The notably cooler pattern will be accompanied by periods of rain. Rain will be too late to benefit drought-stressed crops. Now, in the southern plains, a strong system will bring showers and thunderstorms and much lower temperatures during the week. Rain verification will then be closely tracked for possible improvement in soil moisture for winter wheat planting. Now, it will be cold in the northern plains as the northern plains crop areas have seen moderate showers and sharply falling temperatures during the last couple of days. Some snow has also occurred near the Rockies with the system. Now, that well below normal temperatures will lead to frost and freezes through Wednesday morning ending the fill period on corn about two to three weeks early in some areas. Now, the Delta has very little rainfall expected for this week. Drier conditions will favor harvest progress. Now, cold prairies is the trend as the Canadian prairies have scattered showers across the west along with windy conditions noted over the weekend. A little bit of snow fell against the Rockies in Canada but did not significantly accumulate. Temperatures have fallen below freezing Monday morning below or across the north and are likely to be more widespread on or today and perhaps Wednesday morning. Now, this could lead to any immature filling crops halting for the season well ahead of normal. Otherwise, little precipitation for the rest of this week will favor uh, spring wheat harvest. 
Now, it is still dry in central Brazil as across Brazil's crop areas, scattered showers continue to fall over the Rio Grande over the long weekend. More periods of showers will continue in this region through the coming weekend. Full season corn is being planted in the southern or in the southern portions of Brazil, where soil moisture is looking good for germination. Models continue to suggest the wet season may be late this spring, delaying soybean planting in the central and northern areas. Meanwhile, scattered Argentina rainfall as scattered showers fell across the north and far south Argentina crop areas during the weekend, boosting soil moistures in those areas. Temperatures did fall below freezing in the south, however, which may happen again at the end of the week and into this weekend. Several disturbances are lining up for the region this week. And variable Australian precipitation as Queensland is falling short on rainfall to start the spring and could use more. Some showers fell across western Australia and portions of New South Wales, but very little occurred elsewhere. Some scattered showers will drift north over the next several days through Queensland, which will benefit developing to reproductive wheat and rapeseed, but more would be welcomed. Again, here in Nebraska, Kansas, and northeastern Colorado, very chilly. Again, about 30 degrees cooler than average. This time of year, we're still seeing 30s in the panhandle, 40s elsewhere. A few locations will see some 50s. Otherwise, it is going to be windy, wet, and cool for the rest of your day. That will continue into tomorrow. Of course, for more weather, visit our website at krvn.com. Students in Nebraska's Undergraduate Creative Activities and Research Experience Program, or UCARE, just wrapped up their summer session a couple weeks ago. And today we're joined by Victoria Nelson, who's a student who took part in the summer session. Victoria, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your UCARE project. Um, so this summer I picked the project um, looking at middle school students' 3D spatial visualization skills. Um, so it looks at how well they can form um, mental relationships. So like if they can unfold and fold up a 3D image or if they can mentally rotate an image. And so we looked at this summer the, dif- um, the existing differences that most men, males and females have. And then also if there's any differences between rural and urban students. So, Victoria, what's the importance of studying their spatial visualization skills? Um, it's been shown that students that go into the STEM field, so like I'm mechanical engineering, so I'm one of those students. Um, if you have good 3D spatialized, spatial visualization skills, you're more likely to like graduate and succeed in your field. Um, so it's a pretty good indicator of how well students will do in like STEM fields. Very good. So from this research project that you did, of course, it was just through the summer so far, but what are some things that you learned by conducting research on this topic? I learned so much. I, I knew there was like 3D visualization tests, but I didn't know what they were used for or like that they even impacted like your success in the STEM field. Um, so I was I learned a lot. Like I didn't know that there was such an importance in terms of like grad school and then um, even graduating with a degree and then also I didn't realize there was differences between um, males and females I didn't realize um, males tended to have better spatialized spatial visualization skills Um, and then through this research I also learned that it's more common for um, that urban students don't have as good er um, spatial visualization skills and I wouldn't have guessed that before this 
Really? I wouldn't have guessed that either. Do you know why that is? We don't have an official reason why, but we assume that um, urban students don't have to use their navigation skills as much um, because the streets are, like, more straight and, like, they don't really have to focus on, like, navigation as kids and stuff. Um, And then, like, rural students, like, work on the farms and, like, have to, like, use their spatial skills more often. Very cool. Well, Victoria, let's talk about you a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you're a mechanical engineering student. So tell me a little bit about what got you interested in that field and maybe what you hope to do with that uh, degree. Uh, my dad's uh, some sort of like electrical engineering. He went for like electronics engineering. So like I grew up in the engineering like field and always being interested in it. And I always loved the hands-on like side of it. Um, that's also where I thought this was so interesting is I always enjoyed like building Legos and using like hands-on stuff. So I hope to eventually, once I graduate, do something mechanical wise that lets me be hands-on building things. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Victoria. Again, we were talking with Victoria Nelson. She's a student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln studying mechanical engineering, and she took part in the university's UCARE program this summer. And her project was called Examination of Rural versus Urban Middle School Students' 3D Spatial Visualization Skills. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is joining us. And, uh, well, we don't really know much about uh, Big Ten football. If there is, there isn't. Who, Who knows? We do know this. Sounds like there won't be any revote today by the league to restart the season on October 10th. Apparently six schools, Michigan, Michigan State, Illinois, Northwestern, Rutgers, and Maryland, do not want to play next month. Leaders of Michigan State Senate and House of Representatives joined fellow Republican lawmakers from five other Midwest states on the growing list of political leaders pushing for fall football. Michigan representatives sent a letter today to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren and the 14 university presidents to reconsider their delay of college football. But it doesn't look like October is going to happen. Now, that's not to say they won't try to play after the election in November, but I don't know what good that does them. Well, I don't understand in this instance where some schools want to play and some can't or some don't want to, why, I know we've had this conversation before, but why some of those schools just for the year going to go play whatever kind of schedule if you want to say hey you can't compete for a national title whatever but maybe at least they're playing but i think it okay if you're michigan and you have higher-ups who don't want to play then the last thing you want to do is go see ohio state go out and play and compete for a national title so true it's, it's kind of like if i can't play well then you're not either sure and I, and I get that part of it too it's just those that can or want to <laughs> It's just, it's a mess. Now, for the Big Ten, it's basically a waiting game, as we've talked before, of, in a bad way, I know this sounds bad, but hoping that the rest can't play. Yep, yep. Uh, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby feels good about where that league is at as they get set to play their season openers this week. Now, even they've had a few hiccups, mm-hmm. TCU won't be on the field this week as they've had a flare-up, and Oklahoma State's opener was pushed back a week. As far as we know, Kansas State and Kansas are scheduled to open up this weekend. So the best of luck to those two schools and everybody else trying to make this thing work. 
Shatteron State has scheduled five non-conference contests against fellow RMAC conference schools. The games will count as official NCAA contests. However, no RMAC championship will be awarded, and they won't keep track of the standings. The first game will be at Colorado Mesa, Grand Junction, at noon on October 10th. Well, while they don't know when they'll actually get to play another match, the UNK volleyball team started workouts today, and head coach Rick Squires says they're just glad they can do something. If we can have the eight hours and uh, we can follow the guidelines that are put before us by the NCAA and the league and UNK, then uh, we think we can do a lot of positive things. The Lobers will have practice a few times each week. They plan on having some scrimmages throughout the fall with the last one coming on November 21st. Also, some things to note with high school sports. We were supposed to have that Lexington-Holdridge softball game tonight in Lexington on Kimmy Country. That game has been postponed, so no softball. Also, the big Lexington cross-country invite out at Lakeside this afternoon. That has been canceled. Mm. So you know it's bad. Yeah, no kidding. When one, cross-country doesn't happen, and two, when Lexington calls off cross-country. These are conditions ripe for cross-country running. Uh, going back to volleyball just real quick, that's got to be tough for Coach Squires and that team. You have virtually all your top people back, a lot of the, the roster back. You're so close from another national championship run, and then who knows what happens. That's going to be tough to swallow. You never know. Yep, uh, Kind of like Ohio State. Uh, they were True. poised to play football this fall, and that looked like that's going to happen. Um, all right. Very good. Strange days. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much. enrollment at NU's five campuses is 51,703, an increase of almost 500 students over last year. System-wide enrollments of first-time freshmen, undergraduate, graduate, and professional students all grew, and resident enrollment increased nearly 2%, with all campuses seeing growth among Nebraska undergraduates. At the University of Nebraska at Kearney, enrollments stands at 6,225, a 0.9% decrease, but UNK Chancellor Doug Christensen is pleased with what he sees. I am thrilled at the beginning of this school year with our enrollment, given all the challenges of the uncertainty of the virus and uh, the economic uncertainties that are out there. Quite frankly, I think UNK is in great shape, and that is tremendous considering we've probably got 100 less international students who would have been first-time, full-time students for us. So if you factor that in, I think we had a, a great year. Christensen says that strategies at UNK to attract new talent to the state are paying off with enrollment among students from Colorado and Kansas increasing more than 35% since UNK implemented a tuition discount program for those states in 2018. UNK's newly launched New Nebraska Scholarship Program will offer a discount to outstate tuition, matching in-state tuition rates to all U.S. undergraduate on-campus students beginning in fall 2021. Nebraska's second-largest school district is adding clear plastic barriers to school lunch tables in an effort to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. As the number of cases in the state reached nearly 36,000 and deaths from COVID-19 surpassed 400. The Lincoln Journal-Star reports that Lincoln Public Schools plans to outfit all of its school lunchrooms with the barriers over the coming weeks. That's after outfitting most middle schools in the district with the barriers as part of a trial run. 
Since school began last month, the Lincoln District has reported 41 positive cases of staff, students, or visitors in school, but district officials say none of the cases were caused by community spread within the schools. Two McCook City employees have been found dead inside a wastewater treatment plant. The Kearney Hub reports that the bodies of 65-year-old Larry Dyke and 43-year-old Kenneth Keslin were found Sunday afternoon inside a sludge pump house at the McCook plant. Police said in a news release that officers were sent to the plant for a welfare check after one of the employees failed to return home from work. Officers spotted an employee's personal items outside of the pump house, prompting a search inside and discovered the bodies. Police have not said how the men died, but noted a hazardous materials team was sent in to retrieve the bodies because of toxic gases inside. You can find more news at krbn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. The top USDA official visited the Cornhusker State on Friday. I'm Alex Wachowski reporting on the Rural Radio Network. USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue made a few stops on Friday with Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and U.S. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry, among others. Among the stops, they took part in an Ag Innovation Roundtable, a farm-to-table discussion, and the signing of the Shared Stewardship Agreement. Well, it's been a great day in Nebraska. I want to thank uh, Congressman Fortenberry for inviting me out. And uh, obviously we started with the governor this morning in signing a shared stewardship arrangement with uh, Nebraska uh, and the United States Forest Service in in an understanding we're all in this together, both public, uh, federal, state, and private lands and and, uh, better management. Then we went to a a great uh, ag campus, innovation campus, to see really the best of UNL and what the University of Nebraska is doing. and ag innovation and other things, literally talking about uh, food as a medicine and uh, the, the kind of te- on the ground technology here has been phenomenal in that way. So, and now we come out to a great uh, uh, niche type of market with a round table here uh, with many of uh, Congressman Fortenberry's constituents, uh, really in a variety of uh, ag industries, hoping to learn more about how we can be helpful from the USDA to production agriculture uh, going forward. Congressman Fortenberry led the farm-to-table discussion at the Great Plains Beef Building in Lincoln with Nebraska ag entrepreneurs and producers. Well, what we wanted to do today was to actually look at the breadth and depth of agricultural production in our state. Uh, We are a traditional production ag state. And at the same time, the agricultural family is growing, and we've got numerous programs embedded in USDA, some of which are small. You heard farm-to-school. But again, a growing awareness as to how we want to have the family connected to the farm, the urban to the rural, developing local and regional food economic systems that are all tied toward not only producing healthy, local, nutritious food for the purposes of health and well-being, but advancing agricultural and economic opportunity. After the farm-to-table discussion, Purdue said he'll be taking a number of things back with him to Washington, D.C. Well, obviously, we uh, uh, kind of opened an ag innovation agenda back at the uh, Ag Outlook Forum in February. And uh, what we've seen today merges with that perfectly, the innovation at the University of Nebraska as well as the private sector. What you hear from the producers here today on the cutting edge of farm-to-fork type of uh, techniques and niche marketing there for e-commerce. Congressman Fortenberry mentions often, and I'm glad that he does, broadband connectivity is part of that, and we need that 
universally over here. We don't want to have the haves and have-nots because much of what we see doing here on e-commerce at this facility at Vietnamese is, uh, uh, is dependent on uh, connectivity to reach those consumers not only locally but around this country as well as internationally. So that's important as well. But you've got a great state here with great leaders that are demonstrating the, the resilience and the innovation and the creativity of Nebraskans as far as our helping our USDA fulfill its motto, do right and feed everyone. And as for the Ag Innovation Panel that was held on Nebraska Innovation Campus, Purdue, Fortenberry, and Ricketts were joined by IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame, Chancellor Ronnie Green, and University of Nebraska President Ted Carter to discuss research, innovation, and collaboration. Well, there have been a lot of great events, honestly, and uh, uh, again, uh, the uh, Ag Innovation Agenda, the roundtable, and the panel discussion we had led with Chancellor Ronnie Green and Mike at the uh, Innovation Center in the campus, as well as the research, the basic research with genetics and uh, moving the genetics into actually food becoming medicine, uh, really customizing uh, the food we're producing where it becomes not only healthy and nutritious, but it becomes therapeutic in the future. I think we're on the cusp of developing, whether it's diabetes or obesity or other things, foods that will really be therapeutic for us. And you think about food is a noble enterprise that it is, but when you think about food being health and, and food being medicine, that's really exciting to me. Overall, Purdue says the various events helped him see firsthand how USDA programs were impacting Nebraskans. It's a great cooperation, honestly, and I, I mentioned, I teased Congressman Fortenberry, but he plays a very important role in, uh, in the budget for uh, USDA and the ag appropriations there and conveys these. Uh, he's been with us the whole time today and takes back what he hears as well, and we can collaborate better because we see and hear the very same thing in the needs there, just like broadband. He's mentioned also the, the great program early on when we heard uh, with the pandemic started, restaurants shut down. Over half of our uh, consumption was in restaurants there. Food being consumed was there, and producers, uh, produce and dairy and meat even, uh, were looking for where's the market going to be. We had to pivot very quickly, and uh, the uh, president said, what are we going to do? You better fix it fast. And our guys at USDA came up with a program called Farmers to Family Food Box in less than three weeks a major procurement program, $3 billion, and then the president just announced another billion uh, last week because it was going so well, and we were benefiting. A win-win-win situation, uh, helping farmers have a market for their produce, the logistics environment and the distributors in the middle whose trucks were idle and people were laid off, got uh, jobs back, and even hired people in packing those boxes, but the best was the win for all, and the people that were in need may have never found themselves uh, in a food situation before, lost their jobs. We got to provide uh, free food, great fresh vegetables, meat, and dairy to those folks. So that's a win-win-win. Reporting in Lincoln, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bob Brogan with the Business Report. More sharp declines for big tech stocks are dragging Wall Street toward a third straight loss. The S&P 500 was down 2.1% in midday trading after dropping as much as 2.5% shortly after the U.S. market opened. 
Big names that had been the main reasons for Wall Street's rocket ride back to record heights were among the heaviest weights, including Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. The Nasdaq Composite, which is full of many tech stocks, dropped 2.8% and is down 8.8% since Wednesday's close. Crude oil prices and Treasury yields were also falling. Top executives of nine drug makers likely to produce the first vaccines against the new coronavirus are taking the extraordinary step of promising they'll be safe and effective. The drug makers' chief executive said today that they'll maintain the highest ethical and scientific standards in testing and manufacturing their vaccines. They also say they will make the well-being of those getting vaccinated their top priority. The move is meant to boost public confidence. General Motors is forming its second major electric vehicle partnership in less than a week. This time, a $2 billion deal with startup Nikola. GM will take an 11% ownership stake in the company and will engineer and build Nikola's Badger hydrogen fuel cell and electric pickup truck. The Badger is expected to be in production by the end of 2022. A retiree in Austria says that he received a U.S. government coronavirus relief check for $1,200, despite not having lived in America for over half a century. The 73-year-old man from Linz, who worked as a waiter in the United States for two years in the 1960s, was able to cash the check, and his wife, who never worked or lived in the U.S., got one, too. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. On Friday, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, along with USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue and UNL Chancellor Ronnie Green, signed an agreement at the state capitol to promote good stewardship of Nebraska forests. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Governor Pete Ricketts explains what the shared stewardship agreement is about. Some people may say, okay, well, Nebraska is not exactly known for its forests. But we still uh, have our forests here in the state of Nebraska. For example, the Nebraska National Forest near Halsey is the large, largest man-made forest in the world. And we also just experienced a forest fire that kind of highlights the need for this kind of cooperation. Uh, we had our fire out at the Hubbard Gap. In fact, I was out there earlier this week touring it. It was about 4,000 acres got burned. And it didn't, the fire didn't make a distinction between the public land or the private land. And this is where we have to have this collaboration to be able to make sure that we keep our forests and our communities safe and healthy. And so this type of collaboration is going to be really important. So what this agreement will do is really, first of all, convene the stakeholders to bring people together to talk about how we're going to continue to cooperate to be able to manage our forests. The second thing is really sets the stage for that collaboration going forward. And so that's really setting the tone here with regard to how we want to work together to make sure we continue to preserve our forests and keep them healthy. And then finally, be able to make sure we can, we're working together with regard to the resources, that we're combining those resources, that we're not duplicating efforts, and that we're really making sure that we're using those resources in the best way possible. So I'm very excited to have the Secretary here, and it's always a pleasure to see the Chancellor and Congressman Fortberry as well. And so I'm really pleased that we're going to be able to, to sign this agreement today. And USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue also spoke at the signing ceremony to explain what the agreement hopes to accomplish. Pest, disease, fire, 
know no boundaries, and they know uh, uh, it can ravage the landscape. Uh, fortunately, you're not uh, in the same category as some of our western states and California with the huge tragic uh, uh, fires like they have. But nonetheless, even 4,000 acres is a significant. If you're in that 4,000 acres, it matters. And so that's why it's very important to work together on the landscape, landscape-style projects using the partnership and recognizing these are all our lands and we're all stewards, whether at whatever level, the local, the state, or the federal level. These are federal lands. These are, these are public lands. These are our lands that we want to care for and to do it better. So that's what we're doing here today. I'm honored to be back in Nebraska. We're going to have a great day here, at, uh, uh, starting with this agreement and uh, uh, later with the uh, UNL. And I appreciate uh, uh, Congressman Fortenberry's invitation here to, uh, to spend the stay in this great state of Nebraska and uh, see all the beautiful things that are happening here in many ways. So I appreciate the opportunity, Governor, to be in the Capitol here today to sign this, uh, this memorandum and agreement uh, with you. And uh, we look forward to a great day in Nebraska. So thank you very much. The Nebraska Forest Service is part of the University of Nebraska, and it manages the state's 1.5 million acres of forest. After the signing of the Shared Stewardship Agreement on Friday, Secretary Purdue, Congressman Fortenberry, and Governor Ricketts took part in an Ag Innovation Roundtable discussion at Nebraska Innovation Campus, and then they visited with Nebraska Ag Entrepreneurs at a farm-to-table discussion at the Great Plains Beef Building in Lincoln. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, going in, we kind of left off, started back up where we left off last Friday. 11 consecutive higher closes in those soybeans. And looking here at some previous, the front month for them to close 11 straight higher sessions in this fall thing is just crazy. Yeah, it is. It's for, oh, you know, it's crazy or maybe we're just at a level where we need to be i think somebody should maybe point out to me today the crazy fact is we're only 974 you know and uh given the uh you know the moves and the fundamentals we've seen i mean if this was seven eight years ago i think we'd probably be in the teens given the the kind of buying we've seen in price action and change in carryover i do kind of i I got a call from somebody in Nebraska, and I'll give a big shout out to, uh, to, you know, Chad. He knows he's listening out there. He says, I'm too bearish. He said, I need to stop being so bearish as, as he thinks the markets are going up. And I said, I tend to agree with you, buddy. I mean, I wish I wasn't bearish. But at this time of the year, you know, this is not the type of price action we tend to see in September, especially given the carryovers we have. So, you know, been case corn and beans, I think this is an opportunity. The same opportunity you would have had the last two weeks, so you've had had the chance to do it. Whether or not you sell or not is not really the uh, it's not the point. I think the, the the idea is the behavior of how you're going to treat rallies. And for me, you know, you catch a rally like we've seen from 320, basically up to 360. Given the report we have on hand here, I think it's a sell or at least a cheap put purchase, something out there that that can at least put a floor in if this thing would reverse. And um, you know, at price action today, corn is really the only thing green. Uh, when you look at at some of the other markets gasoline in the red, crude oil in the red, big time, the stock market rolling over to a certain degree, markets like coffee pulled back quite a bit today, cotton down heavy, so, um, you know, following livestock's moves last week down, uh, in the case of cattle, I think you, you, you can't wait for the market to break before you chase it, and I think you have to, willing to, be, you have to be willing to give the market what it wants here, and, and obviously it wants some supply. 
and supply is exactly right now. On the wheat side, they saw more coming from Australia. What about the currencies? Where do you see those going? What's the important thing to be watching? Well, you know, the four currencies you really want to watch, the Brazilian Rai and the, and the peso, those are Argentinian peso. We've talked about reasons for that. Uh, and then we have the, essentially the euro and the ruble. The ruble's weak, the euro's strong. We've seen a lot of the business that was happening to go to Europe come to the U.S. here this year, early in the marketing year. But Russia's going to have a huge supply, and I would imagine, you know, if, if the U.S. dollar strength comes back, you're going to see grains fall again. That's at least the way I'm going to play it here. Whether or not I'm right or wrong, that's that's not the point. The point is, um, you know, we've seen the 10% rally in the market. I think you got to give you got to give it a reward here if you haven't already. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, train future options involves risk of loss.